0: Scientists have identified the key ways in which we humans are destroying the ecosystems on which we depend. Is there climate change? Yeah. I mean, will it change back? Probably, that's what I think.
1: How dare you?
0: The British Conservation
1: Alliance was launched by students in the United Kingdom to advocate for market-based environmental reforms. You should be empowered to deal with those problems. Lebanon, Poland, Spain, the US, the UK. Austria. It's just really cool seeing all these people gather to talk about these ideas when we weren't doing this a year ago, and we're doing it now.
0: We can begin to defend the earth against the disaster of global warming.
2: The Green Market Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Green Market Podcast. As the world changes around us to adapt for a modern eco-conscious age, everybody needs to be able to see and understand that progress. That is why this episode of the podcast is sponsored by The Peak. The Peak seeks to act as a hub for fresh ideas, opinions, and commentary around the environmental challenges that we face, thriving on spotlighting innovative companies mitigating against the impacts of climate change. And that is exactly what we have for you today. I'm delighted to be joined by Sergei Kisilev, the European VP of ZeroAvia, a company endeavouring to build the first practical zero-emission aviation powertrain, and from BCA's own policy team, Sam Curran. We'll be really trying to grapple with what the future of transport looks like for all of us. From the zero emissions planes ZeroAvia are innovating on, and the electric cars we are seeing more and more of on our roads. So jump straight in really, Sergei. Could you give us a couple words about zero Avia, what you're really endeavouring to do, and, and, and broadly, what do you think the future of flight looks like?
2: Yeah, thank you, I thank you, Noah. thank you, Sam. So in, in big strokes, uh, Zero ZeroAvia was created about four years ago. And uh, our mission and vision is to uh, uh, to be practical in terms of making an impact to reduce carbon emissions and increase sustainability of air travel. And uh, what we are trying to achieve is to create a zero emission powertrain, which consists of the hydrogen electric engine for the aircraft. And uh, scale it step by step, starting with a small engine and going all the way to the large engine, which can power bigger jets than what we are trying uh, trying to fly today.
1: I think for us in the general public, uh, loads of this stuff seems like a world away. I think for for decades and decades we've seen very similar types of fly very similar, very similar types of planes and this looks like a massive change for the aviation industry. What's the time scale on when normal people are going to start seeing this seeing this in their lives day to day and, and it, it really changing how they how they travel worldwide.
2: Indeed it might seem uh, to be light years uh, away from us <laughs> But in reality, I think that the recent pace of uh, innovation, which uh, we see in all spheres of our life, starting with the mobile phones, going through uh, all the you know, the uh, online applications, uh, uh, then uh, electrical mobility, uh, renewable power generation, et cetera, et cetera. So we can see that the rate of innovation is, uh, is much, much faster than we saw even you know, 20 years ago. And um, uh, what we are anticipating is that in uh, in about five years, we will already be flying a lot of aircraft uh, powered by hydrogen. And uh, uh, what makes me uh, believe that is because for Zero Avia, our roadmap, which we are continuously following, shows that in 2024, we will actually have the certified powertrain, which will be able to equip and propel a 19-seat aircraft. Okay. So this is smallest commercial available aircraft, which uh, small sub-regional uh, airlines actually flying. And uh, going forward, in about seven years uh, from now, we will have larger turboprops equipped with hydrogen. And uh, in at the beginning of next de- decade, uh, somewhere around uh, 2030, we are anticipating that the small uh, uh, regional jets uh, will be equipped with uh, hydrogen powertrain. So the, the future is, uh, is actually now, and uh, I believe that uh, we will be able to see a lot of hydrogen in aviation.
1: The question then really is, if, you, if you're looking to be able to do a reasonable amount of, uh, of flights in, s- say, 2030, is that going to be affordable for, for normal people, or is that going to be something that is kind of reserved to, to the elites or people that can afford it? Is that going to be something
2: that normal people will be able to see and see the innovation on? In general, we, again, anticipating, it's all forecast, of course, but uh, we're anticipating that, that uh, actually the, the cost per flight for hydrogen-powered aircraft will be about 30 to 40% cheaper in terms of the operation costs, and uh, those uh, savings are coming from two areas. One, of course, is the, uh, the cost of fuel, the absence of the carbon tax and uh, the third which is very important is the reduced maintenance costs if we talk about the first one we believe that given the all attention to hydrogen to the to the price of hydrogen or the cost of hydrogen generation which uh, the world is trying to achieve we we will be able to achieve savings from the fuel side so for example The um, gray hydrogen, which is produced now, you can buy uh, basically at about dollar $1.50. So if you go to green hydrogen, green hydrogen is about uh, three to four times more expensive than that. Now, the Department of of Energy in the United States uh, has a program uh, which is targeting the cost of green hydrogen generation by 2030 of about $1 per kilogram. So you can see that uh, we can uh, foresee uh, the um, a decrease in, in, in cost of uh, production of um, uh, of green hydrogen by a factor of about five to six in the next in this decade. Okay, number two, uh, what I mentioned the carbon taxes. Uh, given the attention which is the world and the government is paying now to uh, uh, to reducing uh, carbon emission, the um, uh, CO2 prices will uh, I expect it to go up. OK, and uh, with the zero emissionness of hydrogen electric uh, powertrain, of course, we, we will not uh, have that. OK, and the last but not the least is that the cost of maintenance. So if you compare the, the cost of maintenance of uh, electrical cars with internal combustion cars, you can see the world of difference. And uh, of course, one component is uh, the number of moving parts. The second is the high temperature combustion, which is taking place in the internal combustion engine uh, cars. And all those differences will be you know, passed over to um, hydrogen electric powertrain. And uh, correspondingly, there will be similar uh, types of savings, which you can see in uh, uh, on the ground uh, electrical transport.
1: Sam, what jumps, ju- what jumps out to you here? Because I, I think... There is a massive um, disparity in, in the understanding and perception of this kind of thing through various industries. And I, I know you've got a, a specific interest in in engines and transport. So what jumps out to you from, from hearing all of that?
0: So my experience, I haven't worked with hydrogen directly, but I have an exposure for it through my work. My understanding is that it's very slippery and it leaks for everything. So obviously Toyota's had their program of, of hydrogen cars. So they had their hydrogen electric. They're now beginning to come out with end combustion engines that run on hydrogen. Um, and they've spent a lot of time on that. And especially when it comes to storing the hydrogen in the planes, uh, sorry, storing the hydrogen in the cars. They're, they're I believe they're carbon composite um, storage tanks rather than the traditional steel ones, all this sort of thing. They've put a lot of effort into that and they're still they're getting there but it is taking them a long time so I can see uh, you know could you comment on on the aircraft industry and I can imagine they're quite strict about fuel leaking especially if it's hydrogen because that tends to go boom rather than burn and that's not very good on an airplane I must admit I don't know much about maintenance requirements on a of hydrogen electric power uh, fuel cells so I don't know if that would be a true statement or not, say so that there's very little maintenance on them.
2: Uh, thanks, Sam. Uh, I think that uh, we are um, actually benefiting quite a lot uh, from the developments of uh, of the companies like Toyota, uh, which uh, actually have uh, thousands and thousands of uh, electrical uh, or hydrogen electric vehicles uh, driving around the world, and I think that. Uh, the main difference between uh, uh, ground transport and uh, uh, the aviation is that uh, uh, the costs uh, which are associated with, with the fuel cell, while they can be prohibitively expensive for the you know ten thousand uh, or you know twenty thousand dollar car, but uh, for the aircraft and the, the engine which costs uh, on the order of half a million uh, dollars, it's uh, it's not. Uh, such a significant uh, part. Of course, it will be uh, an important part of the, the costs, but uh, in general, it's not uh, it's not going to be a deal breaker. Okay. So, uh, and the the costs associated with the production of fuel cells are going down considerably. On top of that, the efficiency of fuel cells is 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 actually improving uh, quite a bit by uh, by about uh, by a few percentage points uh, every few years. So in general, as I said, we are benefiting quite a lot uh, from the uh, from the companies like Toyota, and uh, one of the reasons why this whole topic of the fuel cell uh, powered uh, cars uh, didn't uh, t- take off is. Uh, I guess twofold. One is, of course, the cost, which I just uh, mentioned, which uh, will not play as a significant role in aviation. But the second is the availability of the uh, hydrogen pump station or you know, hydrogen refuelers, so, which are quite expensive, and uh, it takes quite a bit of time to, uh, 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 to build them. Therefore, uh, the entry point uh, for the ground transportation, which was originally with the passenger cars, we believe that it, it's quite misplaced. So instead, what we see is uh, actually developing quite quite effectively is uh, the long-distance uh, trucking and uh, the bus, uh, hydrogen electric buses are for the cities, which follow quite predictable routes, which uh, can live with a few uh, hydrogen refuelers in the city or in the depots and can satisfy the needs of the uh, of the depot. OK, so in terms of the hydrogen, uh, hydrogen tanks, indeed, the, there was quite a bit of the research actually gone into the, into the, uh, into the tanks. And uh, they are actually a state of art. And uh, the safety standards, which are applied to, uh, uh, I guess, all the components uh, and uh, the, the safety of the, uh, of the passenger cars are such that the tanks uh, which go into Toyota Mirai, uh, have to go through the even bulletproofness or bulletproof uh, testing. Okay, so um, uh, therefore, in uh, in all the crash conditions, it is believed that uh, actually the, the the carbon fiber uh, tank with certain liners inside actually is the strongest component uh, in the car. Okay, and uh, of course uh, the rest of the uh, hydrogen. Uh, pipes or the hydrogen uh, gas handling system is going through the similar testing but uh, that is mostly uh, stainless steel tubes or um, yeah stainless steel tubes which uh, uh, go through quite a bit of, uh, uh, of rigorous testing and uh, they, they tend not to uh, leak per se. Now in general if you if you just uh, go on YouTube and try to google try, try to find uh, some movies about the hydrogen uh, car testing, you can see that actually in case of uh, certain incident if, effects uh, uh, or uh, events, what happens is that the hydrogen is released to the atmosphere and uh, goes up in the air. So it doesn't get inside of the, of the salon and doesn't get accumulated. So it does go boom. But it goes boom only in case of uh, actually getting accumulated in the, uh, in the enclosed uh, space. If, it, uh, if certain arrangements are done so that uh, if uh, in case of uh, hydrogen leak, uh, all the hydrogen actually goes uh, in the atmosphere, then there is no boom because uh, there is no way hydrogen is exploding in the atmosphere
0: what i was thinking a little bit more specifically is when the so when the airframes get beyond say five or ten years into their life and they start to wear and they a lot of the equipment i've i've had exposure to is getting older and it's not big leaks but it's the small leaks that allow gas to accumulate so i'm just curious if there would be an element of what you don't what you don't have to do in say directly replacement of parts you still have to do in um checks, e.g., you've got to inspect this thing, you've got to inspect this thing, you've got to open this up and make sure it's not leaking. If that's not the case, then that's fine. But if of all the areas that I can see that um, could get caught out when these airframes, when this technology starts to come out and the the airframes start to age, uh, that's something I could see.
2: Mm -hmm, mm So in general, um, it it is a very concern and it goes through the safety assessment. And uh, what uh, we, for example, uh, are doing uh, on our test uh, aircraft, which we have flown, for example, in uh, September, first time in September last year. What uh, we do is uh, basically a few things. One, of course, is uh, rigorously leak, leak uh, checking of uh, all the components of the uh, gas cannon system and uh, and the tanks. Second, uh, we install hydrogen detectors, uh, which are located at the at the top of the uh, areas where uh, hydrogen can get accumulated. And number three, we have the proper ventilation system, which actually displaces quite a bit of uh, air uh, through the cabin in such a way that uh, if there is any leak, actually it gets, hydrogen gets uh, uh, eliminated uh, from, um, again, from the cabin. And uh, the last but not least is uh, once uh, the uh, leak detectors actually go off, we immediately can close off our gas uh, tanks, hydrogen tanks, in such a way that uh, all the hydrogen flow is actually uh, closed and uh, eliminated, so that hydrogen is uh, actually, you know, confined to, uh, to as I said, the most uh, structural, robust uh, places where it can be stored in the uh, hydrogen cylinders. Thank Talking about much, all man. of
1: these. Um... All of these potential issues that it sounds like you're fantastically on top of. That kind of brings us to a word that I think people that really believe in in the free market sometimes have an issue, which it, issue with which is overregulation. Do you think is that something you've experienced trying to innovate uh, with such a massive industry like this, or uh, do you feel like you've got enough support from the government, or have, have they even accidentally stifle you trying to really change, really really change the environmental sector, really?
2: So I think there are two, two components. One uh, one is uh, the desire for innovate and support uh, companies like us uh, from the government standpoint. And here we have uh, overwhelming support. For example, we got uh, Innovate UK uh, grant uh, through the uh, ATI Institute in the UK for the first uh, prototype and now for the second prototype for the 19th city aircraft. But also the, the second component is the regulation per se. So here, the biggest challenge is actually that uh, the regulation doesn't exist. So there are no standards per se uh, which, are, which can be followed uh, uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the aviation from the standpoint of using hydrogen as, um, uh, as a fuel or hydrogen fuel cells as uh, fuel okay, uh, or uh, hydrogen fuel cells as an um, uh, energy source. So therefore, we are uh, actually like the trailblazers, uh, which uh, will be participating in development uh, of, the, of the standards and uh, help uh, the uh, civil aviation authorities to actually uh, develop those standards so that um, um, whoever comes after us will, will actually use them. So um, I think that's uh, uh, probably the, the most uh, critical part. In terms of the the rest of the regulation, which uh, we need to follow in terms of the safety of the aircraft, it needs to be, for example, you know, have uh, the probability of accident one in, uh, I don't know, a few million uh, times. So pretty much uh, zero. Of course, we go through um, our assessments uh, and uh, do the cumulative um, uh, assessment of the, of the safety of the whole powertrain uh, based on our current regulation. And uh, different standards exist uh, for the structural assemblies and, and support uh, on the stresses, et cetera, et cetera. So this, of course, we, are, we have to follow and we will be following. But uh, in terms of the, the use of hydrogen as a source of energy or the source of power, of course, that's, uh, that's a different ballgame, as I said at the beginning.
1: Do you think there's a place for similar um, legislation as as we've seen um, as to the ban of uh, new petrol and diesel cars in the next couple of decades? Do you you think that's something we're likely to see in regards to aviation or will the government be more hands off in regards to to waiting until the technology is there rather than trying to uh, give that innovation a kick and and, and really start it earlier than maybe it's ready for?
2: So, given that we are a UK company, we are following what is happening here, <laughs> and uh, of course, uh, the government is setting up certain targets, and uh, you can you can consider them as uh, the the source of inspiration, but also um, you know what uh, will trigger the creation of certain uh, regulatory standards in terms of the uh, the carbon emissions uh, for the aircraft. Okay. And uh, we understand that there is a, a very strong desire by, uh, by the end of the, this decade to, to achieve as close as possible to net zero uh, in terms of the uh, emissions or at least carbon emission from the, uh, from the domestic air travel. And of course, you know, going forward, this will be put into the standards. And uh, of course, the hydrogen electric propulsion is not the only way to decrease emissions. But uh, hydrogen electric uh, powertrain is probably one which is a practical, b scalable, and uh, c can be uh, can achieve truly zero emissions compared to other technologies like, for example, synthetic aviation fuel or hydrogen combustion in uh, gas turbines uh, on the airplane. So we will see that due to the targets which are set by the government, I think that the regulation and the standards, of course, will follow.
1: Thank you very much. That's very interesting. I mean, I think the other transportation uh, changes that people will really see in the UK over the next couple of decades is obviously cars. So I I think it may be worth taking a slight segue into that, um, given that we've just brought it up. Sam, what's your personal kind of stance on the government looking to ban the sale of uh, new petrol and diesel cars? Is that something that you're you're backing, apathetic? Uh, What's your thoughts on it?
0: I think I I agree with it in principle, but I think it needs to be done with an element of being aware of the world we're in. So, for instance, transport still has to be affordable for everyone. And I think at the minute there aren't if you look at all of the electric cars, which are, say, in the 15,000 pound range which I think is really the upper end of what we can ask people to repeat. There's obviously a lot of 30 grand cars and PCP nowadays, but that's not something everyone can do. And I think to ask people to do that for their lifetimes is a little bit. Um, I, think, I don't think so that's a sustainable situation. So uh, for me, it's, uh, it has to be affordable. We can't just say, okay, we're going to do this. But on the, on the one hand, we're going to have no thought or no consideration about the consequences that has for everyone else. Because certainly, if you look at a lot of most of the electric cars that are out at the minute, certainly all the ones, the car journalists and this sort of thing like to go on about, you know, the Audi, Tron, big Teslas. They're all £100,000, which, you know, it's fine saying, oh, yeah, this £100,000 car is really nice. It's a real alternative to a petrol car, but that's not the same for everyone else. So for me, that's the biggest the biggest consideration. I, I don't feel that it's going to go one particular way. I think there's going to be a mixture of solutions, but so I don't, I don't have a favorite, so to speak.
1: Sergio, what are your thoughts? Do you think we're at risk of of making day to day travel almost a luxury industry, or do you think it will kind of work out in the end?
2: So, yeah, I, I remember the days when uh, Tesla, indeed, uh, you know, was a hundred thousand pound car. You know, now it's about forty uh, for the Tesla Three. And uh, I can see that uh, uh, Volkswagen is uh, actually uh, producing something on the order of uh, 30,000 car and um, uh, 30, uh, a 30,000 pound car. And I think that uh, with the development of uh, uh, with, the, uh, with the price trajectory of uh, batteries, which are actually the, the biggest contributor to the cost of the electrical vehicles. I think that uh, we will see, you know, even uh, 20,000 uh, um, uh, pound cars, very soon. OK, that's that's one. The second, I think, you know, the car sharing and um, we will we'll actually, you know, pick up uh, and in uh, all the models, if you think about it, you know, what um, what different, uh, I guess, think tanks uh, are uh, anticipating, you know, in, uh, in in the big cities, at least, you know, we will, we will see more of that. But uh, I think that even more important uh, is uh, uh, to, to see what will happen to the public transport. And this is, uh, this is what we see quite uh, uh, actively happening in, uh, in the UK, is that uh, the buses slowly but surely are switching to electrical buses. The same uh, uh, is, uh, is happening, will be happening to the trucks. Uh, again, hydrogen... Uh, will be a common place uh, for for the buses and 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 for the trucks and uh you know i think it's uh it it will be uh, a, a significant game changer you know going forward especially uh when we have the quite predictable uh routes uh of travel uh for the uh for the cars uh i mean for the for the public transport uh, uh, transportation cars and uh, also for the uh for the trucks i think that that's uh I, I would be more optimistic than Sam on this.
1: I think the public transport point is a very very interesting one uh, I, I think in terms of immediate things that the government can do to try and make transport or ensure that transport and travel re- remains affordable is to really make sure that say um, using a train is definitely cheaper than driving um, that kind of stuff would have an immediate impact um, because at the moment you're paying hundreds and hundreds of pounds potentially for for what could be a, a tank full of fuel in a car journey, and, and why would people do that to be in the grand scheme of things? Them as an individual is not having a huge difference, so it, it needs to be a, a mass public change of attitude. Um, and there's various ways that the government can try and get the price down, but but that really does need to be a focus, I think. In the wake of Covid, I think there's probably a challenge with more people moving out of cities that's going to require, um big changes in in, in regards to people are going to potentially be driving much further different distances if people stay living outside of cities and and trying to commute in. But then if they're only commuting in twice a week, it it may help in the long term. So I think there's lots of questions, especially post COVID, um, about our relationship with uh, travel and the transport industry. But from a personal perspective, I think the the government really needs to focus on getting those prices down. An interesting question that there has uh, that has been posed is whether the current grid um, is actually, whether it would even be capable um, of having a whole city worth of people trying to car- charge an electric car um, every evening. And the questions about, well, if, if we give everyone an electric car now or we'll try and encourage everyone to have an electric car in the next 20 years, are we going to have a massive problem in regards to um, electricity consumption then? Is, do you guys have any thoughts on that?
0: So this is more related to the sector I work in. So in turn, I think the the there is a an, something to think about with the argument of can the grid support it? But I think it's a little bit of an overdone argument because the reality is, is that if they need the extra generation, they'll just put more gas turbines up. And you've actually started to see that with uh, some of the plans the government's brought out for, I think it was supposed to be the largest gas uh, CCGT plant in Europe that they're trying to get through the environmental agency. And there, there's a lots of disagreements going on with that. Um, so I think in terms of would, would electric cars singularly, you know, cause us power problems as a, as a nation? No, they wouldn't. Would it help us move away from sustainable generation? I suspect not, because I think certainly for the next 15 years, that gap, most of that gap is likely to be taken up by uh, gas turbines um, Or say 10 years. I think for the, it's something to be aware of, that it, it's, we can do it, but it has to be considered. And there isn't, there isn't a, a very, there are very few easy solutions. Um, and as, as I said earlier, gas turbines would likely be the one that would fill the short gap.
2: Uh, so from my standpoint, I think that it's, uh, uh, it, it can be solved uh, by, uh, of course, uh, putting more wires in the ground and uh, connecting, creating more smart charging. So smart charging is uh, something uh, myself and uh, uh, the founder of uh, Zero Ave actually have done in our previous endeavor. So we created um, uh, the, the smart charger uh, with uh, the cloud-based platform, which uh, actually helped to manage uh, those uh, smart charging events. And uh, uh, the way it was, uh, uh, it is, it is working is that. Uh, we can time uh, the, the charging events to the times when, uh, for example, uh, the electricity grid is less congested or there is more green, uh, green electricity produced or there is uh, excess of uh, uh, power generation capacity. And uh, by doing that, uh, we can uh, actually time the events when, uh, when the cars are uh, charged uh, to actually, uh, you know, the times when the electricity is available. And uh, uh, our startup uh, eMotorWorks, uh, before it was bought by uh, uh, the largest uh, European utility, Italian uh, uh, holding, um, uh, NL, uh, we actually were able to demonstrate uh, uh, thousands and thousands uh, of uh, electrical vehicles uh, uh, actually simultaneously uh, monitored uh, and managed the. Uh, uh, to actually uh, provide this, uh, this, this opportunity to, uh, to, 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 to relieve the pressure from the grid, so to speak.
1: That, that, that sounds very optimistic. So it is a concern that I've seen touted quite a lot, especially by our online news sites who, who may just be fishing for clicks. But, but it is something that seems to be in the general public and people who aren't fully aware of the industry um, and the fantastic innovations that are going on within it—it it, it is a concern that it seems like a lot of people have. But but that um, question of optimism, um, I think, is is really important. Sergei, so especially for you um, as someone who is so key in in regards to innovation, are you optimistic that that your role in this and and where the entire uh, transport sector is uh, uh, is as a whole in regards to? Um, where we're going as a planet do you think we're moving fast enough um I, i'm not i'm not going to be a, a doomsday uh sayer but are you optimistic with the speed that we're going in regards to innovation or, or does something need to change
2: i think uh in in general our uh, you know inspiration should be elon musk who is moving uh, with the space program, you know, faster than what we're doing here on the ground, or um, you know, or the rest of the industry is moving on the ground or in the air, and uh, we should uh, uh, actually with the with the speed of innovation try to match those. than you know, uh, uh, the companies which existed for the last um, you know 50 years and uh, and trying to um, uh, to do the the innovation with uh, with their speed. So I think that uh, there is uh, quite a bit of uh, um, stuff which can be done, uh, and in particular uh, from uh, from the investor standpoint, uh, from the government support uh, to actually fund uh, programs uh, uh, like us uh, at SCAN. And uh, of course it is uh, quite expensive to, um, uh, to, to do the, the programs like uh, ours. For example, we got about uh, 20 million uh, fund program just for the 19 seater aircraft and it will be larger uh, for the 50 to 80-seater and then, uh, um, you know, uh, going forward. So they, they should be framework to actually uh, fund programs like this and uh, 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 maybe create the competition uh, between, you know, setting, having uh, a few projects uh, running in parallel and see what, uh, you know, who are uh, who is first? Um, I mean, this is what we see in uh, in space race uh, between Elon Musk, Bezos, and um, <laughs> and Branson, right? And I think that uh, you know similar um, uh, competitions can be you know set up uh, uh, in, uh, for example, sustainable aviation.
1: Samuel, how about you? Are you optimistic?
0: Um, as a whole, yeah, I, I think it, it's it's something that's easy to forget that um, there's lots of ways to skin a cat. And there is ultimately lots of, you know, there's all the, there are all these potential solutions coming out and I'm confident that it will come about. Uh, but it's just a case of, I think some areas need a little bit of a nudge. I don't think it's that there's some, some big force trying to stop it, but some of it just requires an initial investment. Um, and some of these technologies, especially with all the licensing and everything that's that's required to get the tick in the boxes, to put your whatever to market um it can make barrier it can make high barrier to entries so oh, high barriers to entry sorry so it's just um it'll come but it, it does i think it's good to have as much encouragement as we can get
1: mild optimism that's that's the best way to finish i think um tentative and not overly exuberant but but positive um i thank you both very very much for coming it, it has been fascinating as, as someone who's not um overly knowledgeable about about the transport industry you've both been fantastically interesting to listen to so thank you both very very much for
0: coming
2: thank you noah thank you sam thank
0: you sergey
1: thank you for listening to this episode of the green market subscribe to our channels wherever you're listening to us to make sure you see every time we post a new episode